Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we remember you as we should, and so then we remember to follow your laws as we should. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue looking at the ministry of John the Baptist, and last week we saw that his ministry even extended to baptising the Lord Jesus Christ, and we saw uh, the reasons why uh, the Lord Jesus insisted that he be baptised by John the Baptist. He said that it was to fulfil all righteousness, and so we looked at what that means. And this morning we're going to see, begin looking at what happens when Jesus is baptised. Immediately after he is baptised, a couple of things happen, and we see that in verse 16. In verse 16 we see that as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. Heaven was opened above him, And what else happened? Well, the Spirit of God descended like a dove and lighted on him, rested on him. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, about what does this mean that the Spirit of God came down upon Jesus after he was baptised? What is God doing by sending the Holy Spirit to the Lord Jesus here? Well, we understand that the Lord Jesus was being anointed by the Holy Spirit, by God, through the Holy Spirit, for his role as Messiah. Uh, That's what Messiah actually means. It means that you're an anointed one. It means that uh, something has been poured on you, typically oil. How do we know that this was an anointing that the God of heaven was doing for the Lord Jesus while he was coming up out of the water? Well, we read in other parts of Scripture about the fact that this was an anointing. Uh, An example is in Acts chapter 10, when the Apostle Peter is speaking to, to Cornelius, a centurion, the Gentile, He says to him in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And then he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. Very clear teaching from Peter to Cornelius that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, was anointed by the Holy Spirit. What is an anointed one? Well... It was someone who was set apart for a particular job. That's what it meant to be anointed in the Old Testament. It meant that you were set apart for a particular office for the Lord. What sort of offices would the Lord anoint people for in the Old Testament? Well, one of the jobs was to be a prophet. Prophets were anointed with oil in the name of God and set apart as prophets for God. An example of that comes in 1 Kings chapter 19 where Elijah anoints Elisha as God's prophet. What is a prophet? What is his job? Well, it's to be the mouthpiece of God. It's to speak God's word to God's people and even to other nations, to people outside of God's kingdom. A prophet is the mouthpiece of God, delivering God's word. But what's another job that people could be anointed for in the Old Testament, set apart for God's work? Well, priests were also anointed by God. Prophets were anointed, priests were also anointed. In Exodus chapter 40, Uh, It's just one of many examples of a command given to anoint uh, the priests of God. Exodus chapter 40, verse 13, it says, Dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him. Set him apart so he may serve me as priest. The priests were to be anointed with oil and set apart as priests of God. And what was the job of a priest? Well, it was primarily to intercede between God and man, to intercede between God and man. And how would they usually do that? It was usually by sacrifice. They were interceding between God and sinful man, 
And so the priest was to come in between God and sinful men and offer a sacrifice that would atone, that would make uh, an atonement, which means uh, a way that we can remember that, it means that at one moment, that they would reconcile God with sinful men. And so they'd be at one again. So the priest would come, offer the sacrifice, and God would be at one with sinful men again because of the work of a priest who was set apart for that job. What was another job that God could anoint people for, set them apart for? Prophet, priest, and also kings. Kings in the Old Testament were often anointed by God. How do we know? Well, Samuel is a good example. Samuel the prophet, he anoints in 1 Samuel both Saul as the first king of Israel and also anoints David as king of Israel as well. And what's a king? Well, a king is someone who rules for the benefits of others. He is placed in charge so that he would provide protection and benefit for the people that are under his care and particularly protect them from enemies. Enemies within the nation, enemies without the nation, outside. Protecting them from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Making sure that within the nation there is peace. So then what was Jesus set apart for at his baptism? He was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, which means he was being set apart for a particular job by God. Which was it? Was it prophet? Was it priest? Was it king? Well, was he a prophet? The answer is yes. Jesus was clearly a prophet. We even read in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus said the Spirit was upon him to preach good news to the poor. What's preaching good news? It's a job of a prophet. Jesus is clearly set apart as a prophet. He proclaimed God's word to people. And, and we see it again and again as you read in the pages of the New Testament. But what about a priest? Was Jesus a priest? He was clearly a prophet, but was he a priest too? Yes. How was he a priest? Well, he interceded between God and sinful man. Doing that job that a priest usually does? What's that job? Offering a sacrifice. Did Jesus offer a sacrifice between God and man? The answer is yes. Hebrews 2 verse 17 says, For this reason he, that's the Lord Jesus, had to be made like his brother in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus was a high priest, and he made atonement for the sins of the people. And how did he do that? By offering not the blood of bulls or goats or lambs, as the priest did in the Old Testament, but offered the blood and the body of himself as a perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God that would truly atone for God's people. That's what he was doing at the cross. He was dying the death that his people deserved for their sin. So Jesus was clearly anointed to be a prophet, clearly anointed to be a priest. What about a king? Was Jesus anointed to be a king? The answer is yes. How do we know? What was a king supposed to do? A king was supposed to protect God's people, to bring peace to God's people. And that's clearly what the Lord Jesus does. He brings peace to God's people, and he does it because of the Holy Spirit who is upon him. And we're taught that in Isaiah chapter 11. Turn with me now. There's a classic passage in uh, teaching us about the Lord Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 11 is found on page 686. And as I read it, consider 
whether this teaches that the Lord Jesus is a king, one who brings peace to his people, protects them from his enemies. Isaiah chapter 11, reading from verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, page 686, 686. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge. That's the job of a king, isn't it? By what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him. And his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Alam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And it continues on. You might like to read over that again this afternoon and meditate upon what it means that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to be a king who would bring great peace. The kind of peace that's depicted there is incredible. Even wild animals, you can put your hand, a little child can put their hand into the viper's hole and not be bitten. Wonderful, wonderful teaching about the Lord Jesus and the peace that he would bring by the power of the Holy Spirit that would be upon him. So what job was the Lord Jesus anointed for at his baptism? Why did the Holy Spirit come down upon him and anoint him? What office was he being set apart for? He was being set apart for all three offices that God could set people apart for in the Old Testament. Very, very rare that anyone would have two offices of the Lord, that they would be prophet and king. David is an example of that, someone who was a king, but also a prophet who actually prophesied. You can read prophecies given by uh, David in the Psalms. Jesus was not only prophet, not only king, but also priest. Holy Spirit came upon him and set him apart for all three jobs that the Lord could give. But why would God anoint Jesus with the Holy Spirit? Why would he give him the Holy Spirit at this time? To set him apart, yes. But is that just a symbol that's going on here? No, it's to show that the power of God was coming upon the Lord Jesus for his ministry. His ministry was going to be very difficult. To do the work of a prophet, very difficult. To do the work of a a king, it's very difficult. To do the work of a priest, to make atonement for God's people. Once and for all, very, very difficult work. We see the difficult work begin, as we will in a few weeks' time, immediately where he has to go into the desert, cast there by the Spirit, fast for 40 days, and then what happens? He's confronted by the devil himself. 
He needs help, doesn't he? Is that why the Holy Spirit came down upon him? Well, you may say, but isn't Jesus God? As the Son of God, does he really need the help of the Holy Spirit? The answer, of course, is no, he doesn't need the help of the Holy Spirit in his divinity. Being the Son of God, he's in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit. I mean, his conception, how was he conceived? What do we read at Christmas time? He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, we're told. From his conception, he knew the union with the Holy Spirit in his divinity. But we also understand that in his humanity, he grew weak and tired. He hungered, and so he needed the Spirit's strengthening. What do we see the Lord Jesus often doing? He goes off and prays to God. Why does he pray to God? Why do we pray to God? Of course, we can pray to God in praise of him. We can pray to him in prayers of thanksgiving, but we also pray to God for his help. And we see the Lord Jesus praying to God for help. And we see God strengthening him at the Garden of Gethsemane where he's pouring out himself to the Lord in prayer. God sends an angel to strengthen him. The Lord Jesus in his humanity was weak and he needed the Spirit's power to rest upon him, particularly as prophet, as priest and as king. So what can we learn from this Spirit coming down, the Spirit coming down upon the Lord Jesus at this time. We learn that he is set apart for God. We learn that he is receiving the Lord's power. But what sort of power would his ministry involve? I think we can learn from the way that the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, something about the Lord's power that rested upon him at this time. Why come as a dove? Why not come as fire falling down upon the Lord Jesus? I mean, that's how the Spirit comes at the day of Pentecost with the apostles. It's fire that comes. And they speak with fire. They preach God's name and they're fearless in their ministry. Why is it a dove coming down, like a dove, that the Spirit comes down upon the Lord Jesus? Well, what do we associate doves with? We associate them with purity and innocence. In Matthew chapter 10, same author of the gospel that we're reading now, he says that we need to be as innocent or harmless, as the KJV has it, as doves. Doves are associated with an innocence and with a harmlessness. And they're also, of course, associated with peace, right back at the beginning of the world. What happens at the beginning? God creates the world, but then, of course, man falls, becomes increasingly wicked, and so what does God do? He sends a great flood. The waters of judgment come across the earth, destroy mankind except for a few who are left in a boat. And what is a symbol that is brought to them that God has judged the world but they are preserved? A dove comes to Noah with an olive twig in his mouth showing that the judgment is over and I come in peace to you now. So the dove coming down, the, the spirit coming down as a dove. Be careful with the way I speak here. The spirit is not a dove. Uh, he comes like a dove, the scripture is clear. He comes down like a dove upon the Lord Jesus. I think to show the innocence and purity of the Lord Jesus, but also the peacefulness, the gentleness of the Lord Jesus' ministry as prophet, priest and king. Do we see that Jesus was gentle in his ministry because of the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, we're told again and again that Jesus was one who had a gentle ministry, and he fulfilled prophecies about him as the Messiah, as the Christ, the anointed one, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would be gentle. Matthew quotes Isaiah's prophecy as fulfilled in Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 17. It says, Here is my servant who I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Spirit coming upon Jesus, then what do we hear? He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, he will not break. A smouldering wick, he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. The gentleness of Christ is taught there in association with the Holy Spirit, that he will be one who doesn't break a bruised reed, a reed that's almost ready to break. He will not snap it. And a smouldering wick that looks like it's about to die, he won't snuff it out. Speaking about the way that he interacts with people. We feel bruised at times. We feel like we're about to be extinguished. But the Lord Jesus doesn't let that happen because the Spirit is upon him to preserve his people in gentleness. And where else do we see that Jesus is gentle? Well, we're told that Matthew, and by Matthew that he fulfilled the prophecy about Zach, that Zechariah gave many years earlier. Matthew chapter 21 Speaking of Jesus, when he comes into Jerusalem, we read in Matthew 21, verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A donkey was also a symbol of peace that could be used by someone coming in, as opposed to a horse, which a king would ride, usually a conquering king. Someone coming on a donkey was a peaceful measure, like a dove coming. And so Jesus was entering into Jerusalem as one who brings peace. And of course, Jesus himself tells us that he is gentle. What does he say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So do we see a gentle spirit a dove-like spirit in Jesus in his work as prophet, priest, and king? Yes. In the way that we see he's taught, it's taught that he was gentle, but even in his work. How? Well, in compassionately providing for the physical needs of his people. He had compassion on people who were hungry, and he fed them. And when he saw them with illnesses, sicknesses, grieving mothers, he healed, even raised the dead. He was compassionate and kind and gentle. And then when it came to people's spiritual needs, did he function as a gentle prophet? Yes. He proclaimed the gospel, teaching people with compassion as people who were sheep without a shepherd. He then taught them and provided for them. As a priest, yes, he brings forgiveness for God's people. A gentle priest who provides for the forgiveness of sins and as a king, yes, he protects his people from enemies, from evildoers, even from demons. We see again and again in the New Testament, the gentle king casting out demons on behalf of his people. So what does this all mean for us? Well, Jesus is still the anointed one. He's still anointed with the Spirit of God as prophet, priest, and king for us today. And Jesus still comes to us with the spirit of gentleness, humble in heart and giving rest for souls. How? Well, he still provides for our physical needs day by day. We see again and again the gentleness of God to provide for sinful children, rebellious children, 
He continues to provide for us each day and promises to provide for us eternally if we trust in him. And one day he will heal our bodies. He healed many bodies in the past, but he will heal our bodies eternally and will arise with bodies that will never get sick again, never die again. And of course he provides for our spiritual needs, doesn't he? He teaches us as a prophet. He forgives us as a priest. And he protects us as our king. So what is Jesus like for us today? Well, he's like a dove bringing an olive branch in his mouth to us over the waters of judgment. He comes in peace. And so we who believe, we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes with that dove-like spirit and we glorify him and we welcome him as our prophet, our priest and our king. But sadly, many people do not welcome the Lord Jesus, the gentle and lowly Christ with the dove-like spirit today. What do they do? Well, they reject the Lord Jesus. They reject him. And what are they doing when they reject him? It's like taking a stick to a bird that's coming to you, a gentle bird. You think of a bird that flutters in and lands near you. Maybe a very pretty bird. And What do people do? They pick up their stick and they whack it. Shoo it away. Don't want it near me. Like a child that likes chasing birds or a dog that just likes chasing birds. There's no good reason for it. They don't want it around. And that's what people do with the Lord Jesus. They don't want any mention of him. He comes in peace, flutters towards them, and they want rid of him. They don't want him in the public square. They don't want him mentioned in Parliament. They don't want him mentioned on the news, whether it be on the television or in the paper. They don't want him around. The mention of this gentle prophet, priest and king who comes in the name of peace. They don't want him mentioned at work. Ban him from the workplace. Cannot mention Christ here. And they don't want him mentioned at the dinner table. Stop talking about the Lord Jesus here. Don't want to hear about him. Even talking about the way that he brings peace for us as a priest how he brings peace for us in heaven one day as our king, how he brings peace to us as a prophet, proclaiming the word of God. Why is that a problem? Why is it a problem that people reject the dove-like spirit that the Lord Jesus has upon him? Why is it a problem? Why can't they just shoo him away and live happily ever after? Well, soon the offer of peace will be withdrawn. Soon the offer of peace will be gone and Jesus will come with the Spirit's fire to destroy the earth and destroy those who have not believed in him, who have rejected his offer of peace when he came with the dove-like Spirit. We read that in Isaiah chapter 11 before. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4, it said, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness a sash around his waist. It was prophesied back there in Isaiah chapter 11 that he would come with a rod, that he would come and strike the earth with righteousness. And John, the Apostle John, also prophesied about when the Lord Jesus would return. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, and we'll read from verse 11, page 1,229, just before the end of your Bibles. John here prophesies about the great war that the king 
the Lord Jesus will make one day. He comes in peace now, but one day he will not. What do we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11? I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. No donkey there. He was on a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this, this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Christ comes with the spirit resting upon him now as a dove-like spirit, but it will not always be the case. One day... The dove-like spirit will be a fire upon the Lord Jesus and he will strike the nations and he will round up all those people who have rejected him and his offer of peace and place them in hell for all eternity. Spurgeon gives a good illustration of the two ages and the two attitudes of Christ towards the world. He says, When the old Romans used to attack a city... It was sometimes their custom to set up at the gate a white flag. And if the city surrendered while that white flag was there, their lives were spared. After that, the black flag was put up. And then every man was put to the sword. The white flag is up today, Spurgeon says. Perhaps tomorrow, the black flag will be elevated upon the pole of the law. And then there is no repentance or salvation either in this world or in that which is to come. So true. Today is the day of salvation. With the spirit as a dove coming in peace. But tomorrow, we don't know. Tomorrow, we don't know. Tomorrow may be the spirit's fire that rests upon the Lord Jesus and he comes to destroy those who reject his offer of peace. So what should all of us do? Welcome the Lord Jesus. Embrace the Lord Jesus in his dove-like spirit as he comes with peace to us now, as a peaceful prophet, as a peaceful priest, as a peaceful king to us now. Welcome him by faith. Trust in him. Turn from your sins. Trust in him and be saved. 
on that day when he comes to judge unbelievers. But believers, of course, will be spared and welcomed with singing into his heaven. So I encourage you, if you've never welcomed Jesus before, like Noah welcoming that dove into the ark so many years ago, welcome Jesus with the dove-like spirit resting upon him now. Welcome him into your life by faith and continue drawing near to him. If you've welcomed him before, continue to embrace the Lord Jesus. Don't run from him. If you've sinned against him this last week, don't think that you can't draw near to him. Draw near to him. He comes with the spirit like a dove upon him. He comes in gentleness. Draw near to him. Continue to draw near to him as your prophet, priest and king. Pray Morris's song, which we'll sing in a moment. Turn with me in the bulletin to the last hymn, the opening verse. A great prayer that we can pray on our own, but we'll pray corporately together as we sing it. Nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart, draw me my saviour, so precious thou art. Fold me, O oh, fold me, close to thy breast. Shelter me safe in that haven of rest. Shelter me safe in that haven of rest. Let's come to him in prayer now. Let's speak with him. Lord Jesus, we do give you glory as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. The one who comes to us gentle and humble in heart with the dove-like spirit of gentleness resting on him. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not welcoming you as we should. And we ask that you would also help us to look to you for our physical and our spiritual needs, for now and for all eternity, knowing that you welcome us coming to you for aid. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who has never welcomed you by faith, who continues to reject your offers of peace, oh Lord, we pray that they would embrace you now, that they would welcome you and accept your offer of peace before it is withdrawn. And it is too late. And we pray these things in your name.